0: Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full-screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com Marquee.
1: Welcome to The Payoff. I'm Antonia Serejido.
2: And I'm Chris Duffy. The Payoff is your audio companion to all of Mike's money and personal finance coverage. On the web at mike.com payoff.
1: Okay, so our goal here at The Payoff is to help you make sense of money.
2: What should you be doing with your paycheck? How does what's happening in the news affect your bank balance? And how can you avoid making gigantic financial mistakes?
1: We're two regular people trying our best to figure this all out. But we have a secret weapon that those of you listening probably don't have.
2: A team of financial journalists and experts here at Mike who guide us towards the light.
1: And today we're going back to one of the most basic and most challenging money skills.
2: We're tackling investing part two. You got a job and a paycheck. Congrats. You somehow managed to make more than you spend.
1: Congrats again.
2: So what do you do now?
1: Are you asking me? Because I I have zero idea.
2: Yeah. To be honest, I don't have any idea either. But in this episode, we're going to try and find out. We'll have our standard segment, Oh No, where we tackle financial issues so scary and confusing, they make us want to shout, Oh No. If you've been listening to previous episodes, we'll also fill you in on who's ahead in Antonia and my battle for listener votes about whether or not we should be shouting, Oh No.
1: And once we've talked through our own fears about investing and the stock market, we'll move on to our big interview. And for this episode, we're talking to someone who spends all day, every day thinking about trends and markets and how people invest. Scott Gam, correspondent for TheStreet.com and TV.
2: Scott is exactly the guy we need to talk to. Not because he'll tell us what stocks to buy. Totally not the job of a financial journalist, as I'm sure he'll explain. But he can tell me what are the options for how I can invest or buy my own stocks or who I can turn to to help me choose.
1: And then in our final segment, The Bottom Line, we'll try to find answers to some of the very real investing-related questions and mysteries that our listeners and friends have asked us. And we'll tell you how you can send your own questions. Hint, you can email us at payoffpod at mike.com.
2: By the end of the episode, we might not all be rich, but we'll definitely do our best to make sure you know what to do with your money. People keep telling us to make our money work for us. We're going to figure out how.
1: Stay tuned.
2: Okay, here we go with our opening segment where we get over worries and confusion about something in the world of money.
1: Yep, it's the kind of financial stuff that usually makes you cringe or cry or scream. It
2: makes you want to scream something like the words, oh no, doesn't it? Uh, Quick aside here, in the first few episodes of this podcast, Antonia and I shouted the words, oh no, together during this segment. I loved it. Antonia thought it was corny. Our producer, Alan, stayed as neutral as Switzerland. So we opened the debate up to you, the listeners.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I have to call Alan out. He was not Switzerland about this. (laughs) This was a situation in which two dudes were like, no, you have to yell an embarrassing line over and over. And then finally... Whoever the listener was that sent in that comment, you have saved me from oh no hell. So thank you very much. But let's. Well, flip. it's
0: not
2: decided that you're saved yet because we opened it up to listeners. You said whatever they wanted, we would decide whether we did That's it or true. not. That's true. I
1: care about you guys.
2: Okay. So we're each going to read a couple of examples of emails that a listener sent in. So, Antonia, you get to go first. You get to read the emails that supported your side.
1: All right. For example, listener Kristen wrote in I enjoy your show so much. I like to hear that I am not the only person with my concerns about money and finance. Somehow I hit 30-something and still don't know how to adult. Anyways, I have to say that I'm Team Antonia when it comes to the oh no. Love the segment, don't love the shouting. Especially now that I know my girl Antonia isn't feeling it. Love you, Kristen. Thank you. And then Cody wrote, he wrote an email with the subject line, oh no, and then he wrote this in the body. You might think that with the subject line that this may be one of your coveted silent supporters. That was one of your, for you, Chris. Yep, I understand. But... That's always been the one part of the show that I thought was pretty cringeworthy. Haha. Ha. That being said, I'm really enjoying everything you are doing. So don't let this inevitable defeat knock you down, Chris.
2: How dare you, Cody? <laughs> I love Cody. Okay. Well, you know, how can people who sound so reasonable be so wrong? That's my question. And in my camp, a lot of the emails for bringing back, oh no, sounded like this one from listener Jonathan. Hello, Chris and Antonia. Thank you for the great tips and laughs. You're welcome, Jonathan. <laughs> However, as I am listening to the podcast Travel Tips... The oh-no is not there. I actually love that part. It's funny. You're right, Jonathan. (laughs) It brings a nice sense of humor to serious topics. Sorry, Antonia. I'm with Chris on this one. Hashtag bring back the oh-no, LOL. Carry on, guys. Keep up the great work. No, you keep up the great work, Jonathan. You even created a hashtag for us. And then, listener Ryan He kept it right to the point. He just wrote in an email that said, I literally yell oh no with you every time. Please don't cut it. Hashtag resist. Hashtag resist. Ryan, I couldn't be more on board with you.
1: Okay. Let's find out what real situation is. Okay. Because you and I don't know at this point. We
2: really don't know. Alan is going to tell us right now. So,
1: do you Hold up. Sorry. Before we find out the results, do you feel confident that you're going to win?
2: I feel confident that either I'll win and we'll shout oh no, or I'll find out that we're not going to shout oh no, and then I will shout oh no at the results. So I think either way I win.
1: I did tell you, though, that my mom called me and was like, I feel bad for Chris. Why won't you yell oh no with him?
2: There you go. Even Antonia's mom is on my side, but let's find out if the votes are also on my side. So let's turn to our producer, Alan Haberchak. Alan? Hey, guys. Uh, So I would
0: like to say that in all of this, in receiving all these emails, and we got a ton, actually. I really, really appreciated all the emails that folks sent in to payoffpod at mike.com. Also, some great reviews that people wrote in uh, on Apple Podcasts, which is great. As always, a great way for you to let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. So... I gathered all those
2: emails, all those reviews that everyone wrote in. Ellen is doing this like reality show style. Where know, they're like, we're... And now I just want to tell you the results after this break. <laughs> it was actually crazy close. Like I thought that the audience would be one way or the other, that it would be like clearly... Oh my God, Ellen,
1: just tell us for <laughs> the, the tension, love of God. I
2: am gripping the chair right now.
0: <laughs> With just over 50% of those votes cast, this podcast going forward will not contain Oh no. Yes.
2: Oh no. Oh
1: my god. Thank you guys.
2: Appreciate A hashtag, y'all. Resist.
1: <laughs> hashtag resist.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the people have spoken and I will abide by the results as I'm constitutionally bound to do.
1: <laughs> oh, I feel great right now. I feel like I feel like making money is what I feel like.
2: Well, you can't hear this if you're listening, but if you were in the studio, you'd see a single tear running down my cheek. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, back to actually talking about making money. Yeah, you probably uh,
2: didn't tune in to just hear the results of whether or not we we're going to do a pretty <laughs> small part of our show.
1: So we're talking about investing, something that we talked about the first episode that we did.
2: Yeah, the very first episode of the show, we talked about 401ks, Roth IRAs, employer matching and all that good stuff.
1: And really, the takeaway we had from that episode was, if you don't have a retirement account, forget thinking about investing. You should open a retirement Well, actually, retirement is a form of investing. Exactly. So, that was something that, we
2: didn't even know. Yeah.
1: And that should be your first step in terms of your investment life. Um, and actually, according to a recent Transamerica survey, 70% of millennials are already saving for retirement and on average started saving at an unprecedented young age of 22.
2: Whoa, that's incredible. We're super savers. Hooray, everyone. We did it. Good job. We are the first generation to be responsible with money.
1: This is great information, but I low-key don't believe it.
2: Yeah, you're skeptical of this.
1: I mean, how many people do you know that started saving at 22?
2: I mean, I don't have any clue what people are doing at 22. Those years are just blacked out for me.
1: (laughs) Anyway, the point is, today we're looking beyond the 401k.
2: Yeah, there's much more to investing than just retirement. And as we've learned in previous episodes, the first thing that you want to do is make sure that you're making money you're doing your best to stay out of debt and you're keeping to a budget. Those are really the fundamentals.
1: Yeah. And I actually, I feel like I'm not there. Like I'm not on investing step yet, but I feel like you're an investing step.
2: Yeah. Although I would say, I think what I've learned from this podcast so far is that these aren't separate discrete steps. Like you should be doing all of them at once and it's okay to not be doing any of them perfectly. You just want to kind of get started on all of them. The problem is like, even if you're just doing this stuff, well, it's not enough. It's never enough with, investing.
1: No, and it, and it seems to be scary from beginning to end. So I think we should address what is it about investing that is so scary?
2: Yeah, it's, it's an emotional thing. And I think if we address the fears, then we'll get down to how to really do it well. So my personal biggest fear is that I'm going to make a mistake and lose all the money I've saved. Like I did all this work to save money and not spend it. And I just fear that I'm going to mess it all up and it'll disappear. And it, it turns out that I am not alone on this one. A recent story in the Wall Street Journal pointed out that your 20s should be about investing heavily since it's really one of the few times in your life where you have the most financial freedom. Most 20-somethings don't have a mortgage, kids, or elderly parents to take care of. But in reality, 20-somethings today don't take enough risks with investments to build up big returns. There's a study from Georgia Southern University that found that millennial investors tend to favor retirement accounts with little stock and more guaranteed income from other sources, and that those choices mostly come from fear. And I know that is true for me. I am certainly uh, scared to take a big swing.
1: But it makes sense that you should do something with it because it's probably just sitting in a savings account.
2: Yeah, my money is. Most of my money is just sitting in a savings account.
1: And it really does make sense to invest when you consider the fact that, like, the best savings account usually earn an interest of only around 1%, and inflation right now is around 2.2%. That means that every month you leave money in your savings account, it's worth less and less. Effectively, you're losing money every month. How does that feel, Chris?
2: It doesn't feel good. I mean, look, (laughs) I I am leaving my money in this place because it feels safe, and now I'm finding out that, in fact, it is not safe that... There's no such thing as just parking your money and, and being good with it. But I'm afraid that if I invest in something more risky, I could lose everything. So it's scary to do nothing. It's scary to do something. It's uh, scary both ways for me. What about for you? Well, what's your biggest fear around investing?
1: I still feel like I don't understand it. I'm struggling already to just like save the appropriate amounts. As we know, I do that really, really not cool thing where I'll like, slip some money from my savings account back into my checkings. Mm-hmm. Although since... Working on the show, I've really curbed that. That's great. Yeah, it's been great. But I also think that we lived through the stock market crash in Mm. 2008. And that was like, I don't feel like I trust the stock market. Yeah. I don't understand it. And then I also don't trust it. And I'm not alone. According to a 2015 study from CNN Money, 93% of millennials agree with me. And they feel like they don't have enough knowledge about investing. And they distrust the market.
2: But look, the stock market is always gonna be up and down in the short term. So that's part of what makes it scary is you see it go up and then you see it go down. But the thing is that over the long term, it's actually always trended up. And that's what we're banking on when we invest. So for example, in the research for this show, I've been told that a $1 investment in stocks across the Dow Jones index at the start of 1926 was worth $5,390 by the end of 2014. So even with a depression and a couple of recessions in the American economy over that time, $1 still would have turned into $5,390. That's compared with the same investment growing to just $132 if it had been made only in bonds, which are safe and kind of a sure thing.
1: But I can't invest in 1926.
2: Yeah, so... <laughs> I think you have latched onto the wrong part of this analogy which is not that you should get in a time machine and invest in 1926 but that over a long term over a course of a lifetime investing in stocks even in the worst possible times to have invested in stocks still would make you more money than just doing the safest thing. like,
1: First off, you have to live a really long time from 26 to 2014. Is there presumably a time in which you could have invested a dollar and lost? Probably. Oh,
2: for sure. But uh, over the long term it's always trended up. So basically the idea is if you're willing to wait it out, you're going to make more money.
1: But like, what if the end of America and the world is <laughs> soon?
2: That is look, I will say, if you were concerned that you're going to die soon or more concerned that the world is going to end, probably not a great idea to invest at all. Instead, you should be probably buying something that you can barter or use to kill someone.
1: <laughs> I know where my money's going.
2: Yep. Straight to gold bars and sharpened knives.
1: <laughs> okay. So there's obviously a lot to unpack here.
2: Yes. Both psychologically and financially. <laughs>
1: And that's why it's great news that we've got an expert coming in right after the break. He's a guy you may have seen on CNBC or on the street TV breaking down market trends. And he's going to do his best to help us figure this all out. Stick around.
2: Joining us now is Scott Gam, a correspondent for the Street TV and TheStreet.com. Scott focuses on financial markets and economics. He's also the author of the 2013 personal finance book More Money, Please, The Financial Secrets You Never Learned in School. And Scott holds a degree in finance from New York University's Stern School of Business.
1: Scott, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: So, Scott, in our in our first episode, the first episode we ever taped, we talked our audience through a little bit of like the world of retirement investing, right? 401ks, IRAs, and et cetera. Um, But there is a world of investing beyond that, right?
0: There is. You know, a lot of people largely focus on those vehicles, right? 401ks, IRAs. I actually always like to talk about Roth IRAs because they're a little bit different in the sense that you can contribute up to $5,500 a year in a Roth IRA, and you can open those at a discount brokerage firm like Vanguard, others, Charles Schwab. And that you can actually withdraw your original contribution at any time without any penalties or fees. So that's a flexible kind of vehicle, the Roth IRA. But yes, to your point, you know, you can invest in individual stocks, ETFs. There's this whole world of robo-advisors, and you know, studies have shown that 60% of millennials are interested in robo-advisors. So Wow, I'm, it,
2: I'm very interested in even what is a robo-advisor. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's basically it's automated financial advice. So Betterment is a good example. Also Elevest. And Elevest was actually founded by the former... CFO of Citigroup, Sally Kroschek. I actually interviewed her a couple months ago on thestreet.com.
2: And these are robots who tell you where to do with your money.
0: Essentially. I mean, you have to tell them a little bit about yourself. So you put in, you know, your age and Mm -hmm. how much money you make. And, you know, if you want to buy a house in five years, how much money... That house will cost you. You put in all those inputs and then it'll basically tell you, hey, it's going to take you X number of years to get to your goal of saving this much money. And here's how much money per month you're going to need to invest. And then it'll actually even recommend some ETFs that you, know, you might want to invest in, whether it's an ETF that's tracking the entire market or specific sectors like retail or healthcare.
1: What's an ETF?
0: Well, it's a great question. Exchange traded funds is what that stands for. And it's it's basically a, a fund that tracks an index. So instead of buying an individual stock, you're actually getting a lot of different stocks exposure to a broader picture of the market and i think the most common one is our funds that track the S&P 500 now the S&P 500 is just you know a listing of 500 stocks it really tries to represent the economy as a whole so if you invest in an index that tracks the S&P 500 you're really well diversified right you're getting the big names like apple but you're also getting you know other names that we haven't exactly heard of but that are still important for your investment portfolio so i'm someone where i feel
2: like I was doing the right thing where mm-hmm. I was like making money mm-hmm. and I wasn't spending all of it. Good. And now I have saved up some money. And the only thing that I've done with my money basically is I put it in. I like maxed out my Roth IRA. You did. And now I have a little bit of extra money that I <laughs> saved over the years and it's just sitting in a savings account. And I, I'm pretty sure that what I'm doing right now is wrong, but I have no idea where to go from there.
0: Well, I think, first off, it's smart that you maxed out your Roth IRA. Uh, And like I said earlier, that money is very liquid, so you can take it out without any penalties. Mm -hmm. Although I wish you had never said that. (laughs) Yes. Well, maybe the temptation is.
1: If you are not maxing out your Roth IRA, you should not even think about investing until you max it out. Does that seem true?
0: I I think it's a good school of thought because with a Roth IRA, I mean, you can still invest in an index fund that tracks the S&P 500. So you're still getting that exposure. It's just a nice vehicle. Plus, it's money you've already paid taxes on. So, you know, you're not going to have to worry about the tax bill when you withdraw that money. And, and you know, they like to say 59 and a half is, is sort of the retirement age, especially in a 401k. That's mm. when you can withdraw that money without a penalty. But the nice thing about a Roth IRA is you can withdraw, and I should be clear, you can withdraw your original contributions, any growth, has to stay in there. Otherwise, you'll pay a penalty.
2: So this is one of the things that I was surprised by. Like when I started investing in a Roth IRA, I thought, oh, that's the thing that you're putting money into. But it turns mm-hmm. out that it's more just like that's the tent that I'm putting my money exactly. under. And then you still have to you choose what have to, to put it into exactly. under that
0: tent. And look, for, for most millennials who, you know, look, this is, this is a complex world. It's not, you know... You you can navigate it, but it it does take a lot of research and a lot of time. So, I I think the easiest thing is just take an index fund that tracks the S and P five hundred, and you're good to go. And and there are countless articles that talk about how a broad fund like the S and P five hundred, an index fund that tracks that, you'll actually perform. You know, you'll get better returns than if you had a money manager. You know, picking stocks for you. Hmm. So, that's a great way to have exposure. Um, Now, it's also easy. It's easy. You just. You contribute That's money, and the fees like are very low. You don't have to
2: think about it. You're just like, oh, I put my money in the thing that is everything.
1: And the S&P 500 is sort of the broadest.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's very broad. It's 500 stocks. They kind of rejuggle that list every so often. So you have your big blue chip names like Apple, but you also have smaller names. The key with the S&P 500 is diversification. So, you know, the S&P 500 is... Up, what, like 6 or 7% so far this year? So that's a pretty nice return. I mean, think about what you're getting in your savings account, probably less than 1%. So if you really want to get into this, there are exchange-traded funds that track green companies, companies that are conscious about the environment. Uh, There are ETFs that track companies that take steps to promote gender diversity. So, I mean, there are funds that track European stocks. That's been the the sort of hot thing, at least from the analysts I talked to on the street, that, hey, U.S. stocks are, you know, we've, we've had such a huge melt-up since the election of Donald Trump in November. I mean, stocks have just surged. And many are wondering whether there's more room to go in the U.S. And then when you look over at Europe, and a lot of the European economies are outperforming the U.S. economy. So you can Get a fund that tracks Europe stocks or Europe banking stocks. I mean, there's so many possibilities. But to my point earlier about green companies and companies that promote gender diversity, you know, it's fun because if you have certain values, you can invest in ETFs that that hold companies that share your values.
1: Mm. Okay, so I feel like one of the things that I'm always curious about is I hear, for instance, you say, like, diversity matters. And I'm like, I understand this as a concept and I understand, like, investing in companies that share my values but how how do you actually do that I feel like there's very little like one how would you find those companies and then once I'm like all right like I want to invest who do I talk to to make that happen
0: well I, I would start with a, a simple Google search you know ETFs that track green companies and you'll you'll find a list of suggestions and you know you want to look at ETF's that are from reputable firms. So I'll just name a few of them. There's Vanguard, iShares BlackRock, you know, Charles Schwab, I think, has a couple. So And there are sites like those that let you buy them for free, basically, right? Well, it's, <clears throat> it's not free. It's a very low cost, and the costs vary. But let's say you're in your, you know, before I came here, I went on the E-Trade site and I pulled up the numbers, you know, $6.95 for an ETF trade. So, you know, it's a flat fee. So- you
2: go to one of these sites. You search for gender equality, European,
0: exactly, green
2: companies, and then they're like, "Here is the funds that are right."
0: Here are the fund, and then equal when you... equality, green European companies, exactly. And then within that fund, you can see the twenty, thirty, or however many companies are in that fund, mm-hmm. and it's and then from there, if you really want to get into it, you can you know do your own research on each company
1: do you do that when you decide to invest in something do you then look at all individual companies within the etf well
0: i think it's a smart idea i mean you know you want to look under the hood and know what you're getting into i mean it's not as difficult as if you were investing in an individual stock i mean that you really got to know what you're getting into because you could lose all your money but in an etf if if one stock in that group tanks you know it doesn't mean your investment is gone and and since we're talking about millennials, it's OK to have, at least this is what the analysts I talk to, it's OK to have a little bit more of an aggressive strategy when you're young. And when I say aggressive, I mean putting most of your money in stocks, which are inherently riskier than, say, bonds, because you have time on your side to recoup any losses. So if you're 25 and you're saving and you're investing, you know you may not need that money till you're 50, 60, 70. So It's scary if you lose all your money, but it doesn't ruin your life. Exactly. So, if people are listening, I feel like it—it's
2: not necessarily clear because you can't tell someone's voice. But you are—you're a young guy. Yes. So you're also in this same age range of like you're not in the range where you're like I gotta retire next no. year. So I'm thinking about it. You're also in this kind of more aggressive place. But you also told me you started investing when you were really young you
0: were writing a personal finance blog how how young were you when you started I started a personal finance blog so I wasn't wasn't investing but I was I started a blog about the basics of money so much different than what we're talking about now you know savings credit cards so I was 17 um when I started that
1: so when did you actually start investing
0: so I work for the street so you know I'm a financial journalist so we can invest you can't so, no wow
2: amazing that the people who know the most about it are not allowed to do it
0: well it's individual
2: stocks because because otherwise you have a personal interest in doing it exactly so wow that's
0: fascinating that is fascinating so we're in the the we're in the business of information (laughs) so one one question that i have is i i want to be
2: educated Mm. about money and finances i understand that it's important but i also if i'm being honest want to spend as little time thinking about it as i can Hmm. so i i've heard a little bit about these like set it and forget it type things, right? Like yes, you mentioned that, like if I put it in the S&P 500, all I have to do is like every month I'm fine with like, oh, you got to make some sacrifices and you have $250 a month and you put it in this S&P. And then that works out over the long run. What would you, what advice would you have for someone like me where it's like, I get that I do a 401k hmm. and now maybe I have a little extra to save. Should I just be doing the same thing, but not in a 401k? So it's like, I have an S&P 500 in one, I have an S&P 500 in both or like maybe even a bigger question. Why not? Should yeah. I be asking someone for advice about this? Should well, I get a financial advisor? I I don't know what to do. And this is not hypothetical. This is really
0: me. Totally. I genuinely don't know what to do. <laughs> well, it's hard for me to to go into the financial advisor question just because it's such a personal question. I wouldn't want to be smug or arrogant to say, "You need to do this or, you know, you need yeah. to do that." But research it and figure out if it's something that, you know, works for you. Talk to your parents. Talk to your family members, friends who may have worked with financial advisors. Um, but to your point about should you have the four hundred and one k, the Roth IRA, and maybe the brokerage account with the S and P five hundred in it? Yeah, why not have exposure to all different areas?
1: But so in in Chris's case where he's trying to figure out what to do with this little extra cash, what is you know what is the difference between a financial advisor and a robo advisor? Yeah, like where would you want to start if you're interested in in a robo route?
0: The couple names I mentioned earlier, and this was, again, just from a quick Google search, Betterment, Elevest, You know, robo-advisors are, are good in the sense that it's a quick and easy way to get instant financial advice. But if you're looking to, to really, if you want that personal touch, you know, it might make sense go into a money manager or a wealth manager or talking to your parents and say, you know, hey, mom and dad, who, who manages your money and, you know this is something I'm starting to think about.
2: So uh, I'm curious about the costs for advice, right? Like um, I'm assuming that the plus side of a robo-advisor is it's fast, it's easy, it's maybe free?
0: Well, when you invest in the fund, that's when they charge you a percentage of what you put in. So
2: robots are not free?
0: They're basically trying to get you to invest in a fund. Mm. And so they're going to make mo- money off of that end. And some of them have minimum account requirements. But again, it, before you go into the robo-advisor, obviously make sure you you read all about their fees on their website and simple things like that.
2: But, okay, so robot advisors not free. Uh, Betterment like, takes a little money from you if you're using it, but it gives you advice. Um, and then a certified financial planner also
0: costs money, but they maybe give
2: you a little bit more of an emotional touch, plus they're not a machine.
0: True. So certified financial planner... They are certified. It's a pretty rigorous process to become one. There are mm. a lot of tests and things like that. Um, but certified financial planners, that's more financial planning, right? They help you with retirement, but if you have student loans, they'll help you figure out a strategy. If you have credit card debt, they'll help you, help you figure out a strategy. If you have questions beyond investing, that's sort of the boat that certified financial planners fit into. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like stock picking and someone to really manage your money that's more of an in-depth you know wealth manager from wells fargo or morgan stanley you know the big Mm. firms like that there are also plenty of small firms too it also seems like you know and you touched on
2: this a little bit earlier but i think there is this really emotional component to it where like money can be a source of real conflict it can also be a source of fear and confusion and you know i think what you're saying is if you just get in there and you put, set make the stakes low enough so that it's not life or death for you. Right. Then even when you make mistakes, you just learn, and it it's not as terrifying as it seems at first.
0: Exactly, and and that's why, you know, the the hot topics around investing these days are ETFs because you know the risk is much lower. That's not to say that the S and P five hundred can't go down. <laughs> yeah. But the market is up over two hundred percent since two thousand nine. So in the financial crisis in 2008, right, the sky was falling, you know, banks were claiming bankruptcy, Lehman Brothers, right? We all remember that unemployment, you know, spiked and, you know, some thought it was the end of the market. I mean, what's going to happen? Can stocks ever recover? And they did. And a lot of people sold at that time, which look, at that time, I mean, hindsight is 2020, 20, but selling after a crash, yeah, that, you know, you're scared, but think about, the recovery because it, it did recover
1: hmm. it sounds like w- when we did this first episode it was all about realizing that retirement is a form of investing um, but it also sounds that even within that you need to just in order to become a good investor you need to start sort of playing around and not being afraid to fall on your face which is what Chris was saying
0: well and, and look I think that's why the uh, advice that's been widely talked about is start with your index funds And then if you want to buy individual stocks, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, I mean, you know, experiment doesn't mean you have to put, (laughs) you know, 90% of your money into an individual stock, but put a thousand dollars, you know, think of a number that's where you can sleep at night because that's important too.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much, Scott Gam. We really appreciate you being here to talk to us.
0: Thank you so much. It was fun. Hope it was helpful.
1: Thanks. Okay, it's time now for our final segment, The Bottom Line. And for today's episode, we're going to be doing something a little different. We're going to get to the bottom of your questions and financial conundrums when it comes to investing.
2: Because we're all still kind of lost sheep wandering in the woods, hoping that the big bad financial wolf won't catch us in (laughs) need
1: We've been getting questions from people who have been writing in to payoffpod at mike.com.
2: And we took those questions to our team of financial journalists here at Mike. And here's what we learned.
1: So one of the questions we've been getting is, why don't you just tell us what to invest in?
2: Yeah, this is one of the biggest things that friends who listen to the podcast ask me. It's like, why don't you just tell me exactly where to put my money? Or why don't your guests tell us that?
1: And why don't we do that, Chris?
2: Well, the interesting thing (laughs) is I learned that the biggest reason we don't do that is because it's actually illegal. It's one of the reasons that the stock market in the U.S. works so well is because there's laws against what is called insider trading.
1: I would have never guessed
2: that I could be an insider, but (laughs) it turns out maybe we are now. Since someone who has insider knowledge about a stock or a company, and that includes financial journalists, but also obviously corporate executives, if, if they buy or sell stock based on that knowledge or share that knowledge with someone else. That is insider trading. And because there are people listening to this show, thank you, by the way, we have the ability somewhat to uh, influence the price of a stock if we were to tell you exactly what it was, or at least that's what the government believes. So we legally can't tell you what to do. Even though many times I've wanted to just say to you, please put all of your money into Duffy Antonio Corp. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's where you should put your money, Duffy Antonia Corp.
2: Yes, just search that stock ticker symbol. The fact that we believe there are that many letters in a stock symbol tells you everything you need to know about our financial expertise. Okay, here's here's a question that uh, I saw that I was really curious about. Someone asked, how does the money go from my bank account to a retirement account? What about stocks? So, like, how does the money actually move? Um, and what is the answer to this one?
1: Yeah, so for a 401k, it's almost like you don't have to think about it because your employer really does work for you. But if you have an IRA like me, you actually have to manually set it up. Uh, So within Vanguard, I have like an auto uh, setup where they know to take money once a month. But you can also put in money whenever you want. You can do it manually. Some people like to see it happen every month. um, And that's the way that the money gets transferred.
2: And then for stocks, you're basically going to have to make a decision every single time you want to buy stocks. So it's just like buying anything. But you can connect your checking account to your brokerage account And there are a bunch of different brokerage accounts like Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade. And they're going to charge you a commission every time you buy a stock. Uh, There also is something that's kind of new and different. That's a commission-free stock trading service that's called Robinhood. Although depending on what you need for services, you might have to pay a monthly fee. But basically with stocks it's not going to be some sort of auto transfer. You're going to be making a decision when you buy something.
1: And the next question is one that I recently got answered. And the question is, is it possible to have different types of investments inside one retirement account? And the answer is yes. Yes. (laughs) It it is possible. So Um, people are often
2: really confused by the idea that like you should have an IRA. And people are like, great, I will buy one IRA, please.
1: (laughs) That's literally what I thought I had to do.
2: Yeah. And instead, an IRA is just like a classification. So it's like, Money inside of this type of thing is an IRA, but you still have to decide where the money goes.
1: Actually, I have a, I mean, more of a philosophical question, which is why is a retirement account different than like investing in a stock and why did we make this difference?
2: Well, I think the biggest reason is it is plan, you're planning for when you're going to take it out. So it's going to be long term. And for example, like a Roth IRA, Mm -hmm. there's different tax implications depending on it being a uh, retirement account. So for example... Uh, if you take it out when you are retirement age, you will not pay any sort of tax penalties and they give you tax benefits because you've put it in that account.
1: And it's like becomes more special because it's about like planning your life.
2: Exactly. It's like a little special gift to yourself. <laughs> you think about like old Antonia and you're like, here's a gift to you, old Antonia.
1: <laughs> so as we've been we talked a little bit about this with Scott Gam. A stock is riskier than a bond, and so you can allocate a certain percentage of the money that you put into your retirement account into one or the other. And so if you want a little bit of a riskier thing, you can put more money into your stocks or you can put more money into bonds. A rule of thumb that was popularized by Jack Bogle, founder of the investment firm Vanguard, which is something you and I are both familiar with, yes, is to subtract your age from 100 and then put that percentage of money into the stock market. The birthday rule. I
2: love this because it's easy to understand. These are my favorite types of things with investments. Anytime it's real simple. So the birthday rule. I take a hundred, and then I subtract my own age, and what do I do with that?
1: Let's say you're twenty-five, which I may or may not be. Okay. You want to subtract that from hundred, which is seventy-five, and well, then very I... nice
2: math. Thank you. I'm impressed. <laughs>
1: And then you put 75% of your own investments in stocks and only 25 in boring old bonds, which is something I haven't actually done yet. So if anyone is confused, in an upcoming episode, I will demonstrate- You actually do this. What this is like.
2: But basically, as you get older, you are you get safer, and the riskier part goes down. Correct. So it's almost like, how many years do you have left to live? That's how risky you should be.
1: So if you felt boring for having a retirement account-
2: so, Then start counting down to your death. <laughs>
1: just saying you can be a really fun retirement investor.
2: Oh, yeah. Anytime someone's like you like birthdays. Well, have I got an investment strategy for you? (laughs) Okay, so here is here's a big question that I really have and that a lot of people have kind of asked different versions of, which is how often should I be checking in on my investments? And I talked about this with Scott a little bit. I just wish that I could think about this stuff less. I don't want to think about it a lot. And the answer that we kind of came up with here, uh, Antonio, is what?
1: That you should check sometimes, but not all the time you should know the makeup of your accounts the ratios of stocks and bonds but if you monitor day to day that might just be a a stressful source of stress
2: A stressful source of stress (laughs) for sure in fact it's like look if you like this stuff great get into it check it every day and if you're like me or maybe like you too uh if it's not your ideal way to spend time on a Saturday to just like log into your retirement account look you don't have to
1: also it if you check every day, you're, you're not thinking about long term. And as we learned, if you invested in 1926, something I am not, was not able to do.
2: Unfortunately, Antonia is still working on her time machine because that's the best <laughs> advice she's gotten so far is to go back to 1926 and
1: invest. It's really not helpful to know day to day when overall chances are it'll increase slowly at a, in, a, in a long amount of time.
2: Yeah, your smart strategy is almost certainly a long term strategy.
1: Correct. Another question is if I have money to invest, should I put into something all at once like Apple, for example? And the answer is
2: no, no, you should not put all of your money into one thing
1: unless it's Duffy Antonia Corp,
2: unless it's Duffy Antonia Corp, which we are now accepting investments for. <laughs> Please Venmo us your money directly and we will Venmo it back to you. Never.
1: And listen, and, we're a one white dude, one Latina girl. That's diversity enough.
2: Yeah. you Diversification. You always hear it's good. Well, here's one way to invest in diversity. Uh, look, Seriously, by the way, if you're a government regulator listening, that is a joke. We are joking. <laughs> that is not real financial advice. That corporation does not exist. And if it does, boy, did they get a lot of free advertising for just having a surprising name. But look, the reality is you shouldn't put all of your money into something because it's just having too many eggs in one basket.
1: Okay, and this, this is a question because I, I feel like you're ready to go in your investing life. And I'm still sort of a little more tepid because I feel like I still have to get other things downpacked, but how much money do you need to save in order to invest
2: yeah uh, this is a question that I've had too and you know when we were talking to the financial journalists and experts here at Mike the this is a tough question for them to answer too. it sounded like because there's not really a firm number so it's really just you want to get started uh, that's the big thing get started here making sure that you're investing Money that you can afford to lose. It's not money that you need, right? You don't want to invest your rent money. That's a real big mistake. Mm-hmm. But uh, almost everyone should probably be investing as long as you have enough to pay your most basic needs.
1: Right. I think that for me, once I feel like I'm in a place where I can ha- pay rent and feed myself, but also max out my Roth IRA, that will be a time where I'm like, everything other than those things, is going to go into investing.
2: Yeah. And again, remember that uh, your Roth IRA, your retirement account, is investing. So, so I'm
1: actually investing already.
2: Yeah, you already are doing it.
1: So thank you so much for those great questions. I think with money, there's no such thing as a stupid question. But and we-, we
2: are always looking for one. <laughs> Try to send us one in. And if not, we will come up with one ourselves.
1: But if you have questions... and. More questions. We are here to help. Please send us emails.
2: We're going to keep doing this segment every week. This is going to be our new segment. um, And we're going to literally answer anything that you want to know.
1: So email us at payoffpod at mike.com. Ask, ask, ask.
2: Again, that's payoffpod at mike.com. We can't wait to hear from you. That's it for this episode. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Our theme music is from Breakmaster Cylinder, and our producer is Alan Haberchak.
2: Thank you, Alan. And thank you, everyone, for listening.
1: If you want to help us out, you can do that by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review for The Payoff. It's really the best way for you to help us.
2: And also, if you have ideas for what money stuff we should talk about in an upcoming episode, send us an email at payoffpod at mike.com. And if you can't remember that email address, you should listen to this entire episode because we've said it 47 times. (laughs) Also, you can find out more about us on Twitter at ThePayoffByMike or online at mike.com slash payoff. See you next time.